Greetings, bless. This is Amia Sweet. I am tuning in again on Dialogue. This call is brought, brought to you by Dialogue. Um, like discussion and debate, Dialogue lets you have your own call-in show over the internet. I should just say that instead of reading it. I, I don't do it justice. And I was just thinking how Dialogue is so cool because what do we do on Twitter and social media? It's really cool that you can host shows and um, it's totally like live streaming. Um, it's great. It's more interesting content. It's it's expanding the Twitter experience. I am Amias We Aborigine, and today I'm hosting a discussion entitled, well, it's a series. It's It's my thing. It's my obsession. The Independent Musician, Intellectual Property, and the Benevolent Nature of Creative Assets. And today I want to focus on the ISRC code. Um, ISRC stands for International Standard Recording Code. And for years, when I first discovered this, this thing, this, this way of encoding music, I knew it was something special. And I've, I've obsessed in a way over it because it's like a serial number. <clears throat> it is. It's a serial number that identifies a sound recording. <laughs> what can I say about the animals? You know, the, the dog sometimes are chill. Sometimes it's like my dog. You have some friends come to the gate. Um, sometimes, actually, it's her. She's an old, old dog. And uh, it's, it's good to see her stay lively. You know, when they get real old, you like to see them have a burst of energy. But anyway, um, please excuse the, the noise. Anyhow, the International Standard Recording Code. It's a special thing. It's a serial number. It's metadata that is encoded on a sound recording. And being an independent musician, there's always this separation between making the music, filling the music, it coming from your heart, and that connect with sharing it with people. There's a live stage. And we all know about records. The record business, when you think about music, you think about records. And so that business, that industry sometimes has been limiting to the scope of music that's being made, that's being felt by artists and musicians. So when I heard about the International Standard Recording Code and in this digital landscape, and this, you know, it's been a long time. I think it's, you know, maybe about 15, 10 years it sort of came out. And who knows, when did the internet get started? So just you know, and that this is a, this business has been going on for so many years, it, there's new terminology that we can understand. That's one the way to put it simply, because if stuff is foreign and far away, it's like, well, someone else has control of it and they make it work. But I'm on the internet and I'm sending digital files and I have a USB and a hard drive and, you know, all these different things. So I'm totally aware of how digital information works. And the, when the ISRC code came to my awareness, I'm like, wait, that's a digital code. So that means this file is like transferable in a way that I, I like truly understand. And of course it's more in depth than that, just that it's accessible. And the serial number, it identifies a sound recording. So the ISRC code is really special for the independent musician who wants to turn your R intellectual property into a commodity because how is it transferable? 
How do you get paid when you go sing your song? You know, I mean, do you just put a hat out and people throw coins in there or, you know, there are people going to buy the CD out of your hand? Where do you get the CD from? I mean, we, we can go back to that process. So I'm sort of dealing now with that person who has your stuff recorded. Like me, I took the long, the what do you call the scenic route when it um, when it comes to producing my music. I've worked with others on, on like left and right. There's a whole span of experience of you know, being in studios and some of that experience, it taught me um, graduating from the Musicians Institute of Hollywood. It was like right around the, those, okay, I'm gonna be telling my age, about 2005 is when I graduated from that campus over there. And I remember when I was a student, I had a, um, my dad helped me get my first piece of hardware. It was the road, I mean, excuse me, the um, Yamaha Motif 6. I still have it. I have two. When it got damaged, I'm like, that machine is great. I just, I love how heavy it is, but that's just a, um, a reflection of its power. So taking a scenic route step by step from being someone who has poetry in my heart and a song in my heart, a rap, and waiting to get a beat from somebody like, yo, you're going to pass me up or wow, I got this beat. I'm running to it. I'm going to get back to the studio. Wow, you put somebody else on the beat. That's how I go in hip hop sometime. And then so I just started learning and developing acquiring equipment and stuff like that. So I'm in a rare position, I think, with some um, hip hop rappers over, you know, maybe not because that's what we do. We just we get creative and functional. What we need, what we make happen, what we need to get done. And so um, many of us, and this, oh my goodness, my equipment. <laughs> It's hardware, so we're not gonna get into the software, the type of uh, software you can just put into your your phone, your tablet, and you know the, the mics that you can use to record the stuff and the filters, and that can be used to give your recording that you wanna say that this is representative of me as an artist. And with this recording, the ISRC code, at this point, whether you're gonna be listening to um, vinyl, that's spinning around or if you're going to have it on tape or if it's going to be on television or if it's, you know, a CD that you play in your car. And then, of course, stuff that we hear on radio that, you know, is transmitted in a digital format, the stuff that you're streaming. Every master recording that this stuff is made from starts off with this ISRC code, which is um, the serial number that is embedded into the metadata on the sound recording. So it's interesting to understand the rights that we're dealing with that the artist initiates with the birth of a song. So you start off and you have nothing, right? And that's what the record companies, they're over on that side. You have the artist with the song, with the lyrics, with the composition that is the music. <clears throat> we're not gonna get into this great flashy production that can highlight the, the good parts of this and make it great yet. We're talking about the core asset, which all the rights are stemming from, which all where the rights begin. And that would be writer. And some people know this, but if you don't, it's really cool to just peruse this concept, this idea. So when we start to look at many different dimensions of um, something that's our culture that is a business and things in between. So, um, I'm gonna take a pause for a minute because I don't wanna just stumble over 
and lose points because I know I can go here, I can go left, I can go right because I love it so much. It's it's when you love something and you're sort of in, um, encumbered from blooming in something that's a gift. And I think a lot of musicians feel that. And I personally think like you have your, um, being have been called as an artist is a designation. And so you're equipped with certain abilities and skills and um, innate uh, drives that allow you to offer that and allow it to be a component of society, like um, a healer, like teachers, like uh, our engineers, those who build and make things better. Um, it's a it's a spectrum of what we offer to society and art is a, a, a noble um, designation as in this human form is, is really great. And so a lot of music is one of those things that has so much expression and then that there's only so many record deals and so many slots that were previously on radio. It there was there's not a way for everyone to be able to bloom in that field. But the digital arena changes that because you can peruse it go forever and find so much fresh, interesting, new music, find stuff that you would never know you love that really touches you because you can go out there and choose. So there is a um, there's a give and take with the artist and the musician. Um, yeah, so, and I'm getting some calls in. I have a question here. <clears throat> what do I think about Sony Music Publishing? I don't know why I got that. <laughs> why someone sent me that question? Why don't you log in? I'm getting instant messages. That that sounds like someone who may be researching a publishing deal. I'm not going to speak on Sony offhand. I, I know they are working with Alicia Keys, and she's great. She's written some great songs. Music publishing is one element of a song. When a when a writer writes a song, the pub the song it before it would be like 200%. Like you have this song, so you're a writer and you're a publisher automatically. If there are two people that write the song, they equally share writing and publishing. It's like all of a sudden you you've written a song and you have two heads. Because you like I'm a member of ASCAP, so ASCAP says if you are a writer, it you you begin a writing and publishing company at the same time. Some writers are never given that um, insight into their careers, so they may close that door or don't walk through it. It's hard to say why someone would create something immediately, like you know everything you grow, like oh okay, I grow potatoes, but everyone I I um I dig up, I just chop it in half and throw it over there. I mean. If anyone knows anything about potatoes, and I randomly thought of a potato, but if anyone knows anything about planting, you throw that potato anywhere, it's going to sprout and keep on growing. And it's a good analogy for music rights because a song will live forever once it's commoditized. It's not like a cabbage that will spoil. You know, it's not like something, a piece of land. It will appreciate, but you only can sell it one time. A great song that's in publishing is making something available for public consumption. So, you know, you can publish something one time or when you play on the radio, it's publishing, it plays again and again and again. I mean, that's 
the life and it's publishing through that media, through that medium for the term of, you know, whatever uh, way that it's been, um, it lives, a song lives forever. I, I don't think I can explain it more clearly than that, except to sort of um, detail the rights and how they're segmented and how the a song has two parts in its creation and it's it's just there. You can say, oh, it's just one song, but that song is gonna have a publisher's share and a writer's share. And um, oftentimes writers have publishers that have the ability to, oh, I have friends over here that do film. So the first thing I'm gonna do is send your song over there. So they're gonna pay uh, a, um, a sync fee to sync it to this audio, visual work. And you know that's payment that now I will split with you you know, or it's payment that, you know, somehow they, there's some, there should be incentive for giving away publishing rights because for one, it's a, you have good music and people can do stuff with it and people want to hear it. And secondarily, this is a right that you've cultivated it has value. So you're, you're sharing this value. I recently, matter of fact, it was yesterday we were talking about, um, R. Kelly's in a, you know, bad situation and no one wants to listen to this 20 minute song. And I was curious. So I thought, well, there he's the record. No one's supporting him. What is he doing? You know, so he put it out on social media. And of course, we're not gonna play it on radio. And uh, he mentions that he signed away all of his, well, it's just, you know, he said, well, this publishing rights and he can't get them back. It's not like a, you hold on for a while, you got so rich, I have nothing. Can you give me some back, please? That's not how it works. Although the creation of that music is the thing that uh, allowed those rights to exist, right? He's a writer, he automatically owns publishing. But the publishing deal, the record deal, whatever he has, he gets. I don't even know if he um, signed away his writers. <laughs> Because how can you, it's just like half. So it's like, maybe that's not so bad if you're still getting half of everything. But I, I'm not sure how he can say that he needs to tour to pay his rent in this song. And he calls himself a broke ass legend. What I just find delightfully funny. And it just, because it corroborates, not that he's in a bad situation or anybody, or the, you know, all the mess that is in his world that now, you know, he has to resolve and stuff. But, um, it corroborates the idea that artists sometimes are not better off with fame and tremendous sales. It could make the world a happier place with good music getting out, but then there's all this music that's been limited that hasn't gone through those channels. And then these great artists sometimes, like Marvin Gaye, you can feel kind of sympathetic for him. You hear like, oh, you know, sexual healing and, uh, what's going on? I mean, he has, oh my goodness, just an amazing catalog with Motown and he just did great, 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 lovely music and he's so handsome and you feel like the tenderness of the of his soul, Marvin Gaye. And you would think like, why is he living in his van over there in Europe and just leaving, just cutting out of it all because his, his great music that has enriched this record company and made so many people lives great is not to his personal benefit. It's sad sometimes. So that's another reason why I'm so excited and thrilled about this change 
that and it's a two-sided thing the artist is not just saying okay i keep trying that i don't have to go to the record companies i don't have to um do things that are outside of my means when i have a beautiful song in my heart and it can be translated you listen to some Jimi hendrix stuff that was so explosive in his day you know he's gone eight tracks from a four track y'all he's panning left to record this and panning back and he's getting like maximum power out of this this eight this four track recorder this from stories that i've read and it was explosive just wow at the time and we listen now like oh that's so lo-fi how cute you know but, and it was great now <laughs> all right i'm not gonna be people having people like get on me about jimmy hendrix and stuff i know he was totally out there and the fact that he actually had pocket with rhythm and blues and he went so far where he wanted to go like that's great that you captured that stuff and I think that music can be a timepiece. It can be representative of where an artist is at that time or what they're feeling. And the audience is now becoming more receptive to real feelings. Um, the real emotion in music is not always, and then you hear like the pain, the suffering to, for to give us so much joy. You know, maybe we might want to hear, allow to feel some of the other stuff. Music makes us feel a lot of things, you know, and um, to know that the artists that we love are, are like suffering and they're not really being in, in good deals and stuff and they, they enrich us so much, maybe we should dig a little deeper and listen more to stuff that's out there and feel the dynamics in a musical artist. So yeah, it's a two-sided thing. The ISRC code, so the ISRC code is the, um, it's attached to the sound of recording and the initial rights, of course, is the, the writers and publishing share of one particular song that is registered with the PRO, which is a performing rights organization. I think there are three of them here in the U.S. I'm pretty sure there are. I know. <laughs> ASCAP, A-S-C-A-P, that's a, um, one. And then there's BMI, the other, and then CSAC. And I can't say it. There might be some little shadow, tiny organizations or something, but those are the main ones. And ASCAP is very art uh, artist-friendly. I remember you know, at certain times, it was free to join. And now, you know, and then they've, different years have changed. Like, you know, they'll go through the budget and they'll say, oh, well, we've had a huge distribution and our operating costs are low. You know, we're just going to make sure there's no member, there's no cost to join ASCAP at this time. But now it looks, it looks like it's $50. But then I've also heard they're giving uh, back. They're returning a larger percentage of what they take in than ever before. And they're getting the artists their money. They're getting the small artists their money. They're getting the bigger artists their money. And uh, their operating costs are at an all-time low as well. So that's really cool when, you know, ASCAP does, if you sing your song that you have registered and you write it on down, let them know, hey, this, this club, you know, they do music on Fridays and I did it this Friday on this date and keep track of those little things. ASCAP will say, well, hey, you know, all these clubs that we, monitor whether they have speakers inside or if they have a stage they're going to be paying a little more you know if it's just a music venue they're going to be paying a little more all they they pay us for the right to be able to do live music aside from whatever deal they have with the promoter and da, da, da. you know just to be able to have for music to be in a venue like that they pay for that and then they redistribute that yearly to big and small artists alike so when artists become uh more willing to become I well I think like I said it's a give and take that work that makes it a, a job a designation 
maybe some people want, you know, you, if you're, there's that thing where you have a great team, a team works together and everyone does their part and you really can do more. So this is a part of that too. You know, the independent, the small team thing, because I've always were open to teamwork. That's what it takes. You can't do this thing in a vacuum. You know, the person who says, hey, I appreciate your music. That's your team. You know, you want to say, oh, wow, I've got a great response. Hold on, build with them. So I, I'm there with the independent musician. I think um, I'll come and, and speak on more. I hope I did clear up some things about the ISRC code. What I will say about the ISRC code is that there, um, be previously, it was prohibitive to encode this on our music that we compose and record in our home studios. There is a piece of equipment that Elise's mastering link is um, and back then they called like the ISRC red book specification. It was tied in with this sort of locking of the data because, you know, we didn't know now, you know, the ISRC code is standard. At least it's in, it's encoded on the music because with the red book thing, they will make it so you can play this C, but you can't um, rip it. Or, you know, snag the audio. You can't record the audio. I don't know exactly a lot about Red, but because it didn't stick around. It is no, I can't say that. It's still there. But when it comes to it being a, um, a thing that restricts your mastering or makes, you know, it's it doesn't, it's a non-issue. And if I learned something different, you know, I'll probably clarify on that or just expand my own understanding. The ISRC code, International Standing Recording Code, was a challenge, you know, to figure out. Now I'm in my home studio. I own my mic. I, you know, you're you're doing your own thing. It doesn't really. The, yeah, you can now invest extra, you know, fifty to five hundred per song. But if you have a five hundred dollar mixing project and you know that you can upgrade your speakers or your monitors or your headphones or, you know what I'm saying, get new cables. You you would like to invest in your equipment and rather than enrich somebody else's studio. And truth is, you can't. And the way that you do that is I found some great software. I'm just going to put it out there. It's Sonoris. It's S-O-N-O-R-I-S. They they, there may be other things. You know, you may want to of course, have other ears and refine your sound. But you got you a set of people who listen to your music and you like to put this into your personal time capsule into the the um, collective consciousness. Good music helps. And the other thing that backs it up is that it's your asset and it amateurish. I don't think it can refer to a song that's coming out of your heart. Production can grow and it can evolve, but when you're doing something out of love, it's good to, to let it exist. And I wonder if we could, like now it's so intriguing to hear early work from our beloved great artists who continued. And um, that's what we do for ourselves when we have the confidence that we can, you know, and putting it off until, you know, that day when there's some, you know, that white night of a record label. Um, there, there's so much we can do. And um, so I'll show you with that. And then maybe next time I'll talk about some advances that I have made and results I've seen. I want to thank you for taking the time. I hope you get a chance to listen. My name's Inia Sweet. It's spelled I-M-I-U-S-W-I. 
So with those letters, you can feel free to, and I have a last name too, Aborigine. My first name, surprisingly, it's a, it's a very unique spelling. There's a whole bunch of Janes out there, and that's a beautiful name. But I have a pretty unique spelling with my name, so it pretty much leads right back to me. And I have music that you can stream. I, there's a free download right now on SoundCloud. There's a song I want to share with everyone. So um, I'm giving that away. And when you reach out to me, too, I always like to you know, share what's there and I care. So go ahead and reach out. Um, I look forward. I'm going to close. And I just want to say that dialogue is so dope. This is, this is streaming like live on Twitter. You can call in, check it out. And um, this call is brought to you by dialogue, like discussion and debate dialogue lets you have your own call in show over the internet. So next time I hope to get you guys calling in and on the strength. Bless.